Father, we come to you today, and we are here with our hearts open and humbled before you. Lord, you are our only hope. It's tempting to look at so many other ways, thinking there's another direction or another opportunity. But Lord, deep down we know you're it. You are the one. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. You're the only opportunity for our lives to get right. Because you were willing to give up everything. You were willing to die for our sins, to go to the cross for our faults and our failures. And you're willing to walk into this room and offer us new life today. So, Lord, we do, we do just plead, forgive us, renew us, help us, and empower us to live that life that you would choose. Help us to be absolutely and utterly surrendered and committed to you, all for your name and all for your glory. We ask it through Jesus Christ. Amen. You couldn't have a seat this morning. Well, we continue in our series, Miracle Summer, and uh, today we're going poolside, right? We're going poolside. Now, when you think of the image of poolside, it's going to be a little bit different than what we discover uh, in John 5, right? When you think poolside, you're thinking, uh, what, you know, lounge chairs and uh, glimmering water and you know, all that suntan oil and all that kind of stuff going on. Well, that is not the situation, poolside, that we're going to run into in uh, John chapter 5. So if you got your Bibles, guess where you're supposed to be? John chapter 5. Thank you. Exactly. That's where we're going to stay for most of it. Okay? Uh, and let's get right to it. In uh, John 5, we have the experience of Jesus uh, accomplishing one of those amazing miracles. And this miracle uh, is is astounding in a variety of ways, obviously all miracles are, um, but this one especially is astounding uh, because as we unfold, as we walk through the miracle, uh, we see it is just so grace-driven. It's just grace-driven. Let's, let's get into it. First you see uh, right away in the first verse it says, Afterwards Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Stop there a minute. A couple things just in that verse. First of all, um, uh, there's some great irony, uh, and you'll see it unfold as we get into the text. But notice that Jesus, this good young Jewish man, is uh, going to Jerusalem because he is fulfilling the law uh, and going for one of the holy days. And it was law, right? It was just Jewish law that when there was a holy day in Jerusalem, if you were in within a certain radius of Jerusalem, uh, you were just simply required to uh, be in Jerusalem and offer sacrifice at the temple uh, and, and to worship. And so right away we get Jesus uh, coming to Jerusalem, and uh, he's doing that because he is being obedient uh, to the law, right? Which turns out to be a great irony, but you'll see it later. The most important thing to notice is the location, right? And where is he now going? He's going to Jerusalem, right? Note that, right? He's going to Jerusalem. And you'll see why that's important in a minute. But he's going to Jerusalem. It says, inside the city, near the Sheep's Gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Porches. A couple things there. Isn't it fascinating that when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, he goes in using the Sheep's Gate. Now, 
you know why it's called the sheep's gate, right? It's called the sheep's gate because guess who went into the gate? Yeah, it would be sheep. That's right. Yeah, it's called the sheep's gate because sheep came into the gate. But now, not just any sheep, right? This wasn't just kind of like the sheep only gate, you know, like sheep were moving in and out of Jerusalem, you know. No, I mean, this is the gate where they brought in the sheep that were used at the temple for sacrifice. Now, let that sink in for a minute. So the sheep that were brought in for sacrifice came through the sheep's gate and Jesus, the Lamb of God, comes in through the sheep's gate. How cool is that? I mean, right away, right away in the miracle, we get an understanding not only of who Jesus is, but what he's willing to do to impact our lives. So he comes in through the sheep's gate. And remember, he comes in and he's now at Jerusalem. And as he comes in, there is the pool of Bethesda with the five covered porches nearby. Now, why is the pool important? Well, the pool of Bethesda became important because it was commonly believed uh, that if you were uh, sick in any way, if you would go to the pool of Bethesda and you would hang out there and be fortunate enough to be there when the waters of the pool became agitated, when they started churning and bubbling, that, that if you were the first one to get into the bubbling and churning water, you'd be healed. Right? It was the belief that an angel just periodically under no, you know, not a regular schedule, like the guys are old faithful, you know, just regular schedule, uh, just periodically, an angel would visit the pool of Bethesda, it was believed, and would stir up and agitate the waters. And whenever that happened, if you were fortunate enough to be the first one to get into the pool, you would experience a miracle of being healed, right? So we'll see, at the pool of Bethesda, there were hundreds of sick, lame, paralyzed people who would gather at this pool every single day. Now, remember, they're gathering at this pool, and they're also in Jerusalem. And Israel, unlike Wisconsin, uh, has sun. And it gets hot, right? At least that's the way I feel this summer, right? It, it has sun, and it gets hot. So if it has sun and it gets really hot, you can't just kind of, you know, sit by the edge of the pool and just wait and kind of flop in, right? No, it's just too sunny and too hot, and you're sick after all, lame, paralyzed, whatever, and so you don't have mobility that you can just kind of roll over this way and that way and get a nice even suntan like we do our brats, right? I mean, you can't do that thing. And so what did they do? They had to go and sit in the porches. That's why it says there were five covered porches. So the sick, the lame, the paralyzed, they would go, they'd hang out in the shade under the porches, waiting for that moment whenever it might happen, when the waters would get agitated, and then it would, of course, be a race. It would be mayhem. When somebody would notice the water being agitated, everyone would race to be the first one to get into the water. Now, that's the, the backstory of the Pool of Bethesda. What's really interesting is Jesus, when he comes to Jerusalem, chooses 
to not only come in the sheep, sheep's gate, but to go to the pool of Bethesda. Have you, you thought about that? He's, he's from Nazareth. He's the, the guy from Nowheresville. And he's now in Jerusalem, the incredible holy city. And when he comes into Jerusalem, where does he choose to go? He chooses to go and hang out with sick people. This is an amazing thing. I mean, think about it. When is the last time you were driving down Port Washington Road here and you drove by, by uh, St. Mary's Hospital there and you said to yourself, oh, well, there's a bunch of sick people in there, I'll bet. I think, uh, I think I'll just stop by and, and check in on them and see how they're doing. And we don't do that, right? We only go there if we know there's somebody there. But we don't just kind of like drive by and say, oh, sick people, I'll go hang out with some sick people. And yet Jesus goes into Jerusalem, comes in the sheep's gate, and what does he do? He goes and he intentionally goes to the pool of Bethesda and he hangs out with sick people. What does that tell you? There is hope for us. He's willing to hang out with lame, paralyzed, and sick people. And we see that in other places of the scripture, right? Uh, and, and we see, you know, in John that that's exactly who's there, right? It says crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed. They laid on those porches, and there was a guy there that was there for 38 years. And so Jesus comes. He hangs out with the sick people at the pool of Bethesda. He's done it before. Luke 5 says, despite Jesus' instruction, the report of his power spread even faster. And vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. So who is now coming after Jesus but a bunch of sick people? Sick people, right? And if you go to John 6, now we're looking at a miracle in John 5. If you go to John 6, John 6 says, after this all took place in chapter 5, Jesus crosses over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias, and a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick people. Now, what's interesting is chapter 5, remember where are we located? We're in Jerusalem. Chapter 6, he's again back up by the Sea of Galilee where he's been doing most of his ministry. And so up in the Sea of Galilee area, People have already heard about Jesus. They are, they're already aware of his incredible preaching and teaching, but also his ability to heal sick people. All of that is in the north up by the Sea of Galilee. But for our miracle, where is Jesus? Jesus is in the south, and he's in Jerusalem. And when he walks into the pool of Bethesda area, and there are all these sick people in the pool of Bethesda, here is the great irony. All those people who are sick don't have any idea that standing right there in their midst is the power of the universe and the opportunity for their life to be changed. And even though he's standing right there in the midst of them, they all look and keep their attention hoping some water will bubble. Think about that. Now think about that. How many people in this world look to all kinds of other solutions to their life's problems? How many times do we even 
allow our lives to get misdirected. And, and we figure somehow something else, someone else, some other system, some other gimmick, some other thing is going to somehow make life better for us. When in reality, the only person that can heal is right in the midst of us. And his name is Jesus. They didn't know. They didn't see. They didn't understand. And it's so easy for us to get our eyes veiled and to miss the opportunity when the answer is standing right in front of us. And his name is Jesus. And that's what happens in the miracle. There is this guy. He's been there for 38 years. He's been lame, paralyzed for 38 years. He's been coming to the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. Did I mention 38 years? Yeah, 38 years he's been coming. And for 38 years, his focus and his hope has been on one thing, and that's the opportunity to be the first one to get to some bubbling water. And then it happens. On just a day, Jesus shows up and decides to hang out with some sick people, and he sees the man. And the text says, Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time. And he asked him. So Jesus not only sees him, but Jesus knows the circumstances of this man's 38 years. He goes to the guy who is the most helpless guy in the whole sea of sick people. And when he goes to him, he asks him a straightforward question. Would you like to get well? Now think about that. When you first kind of hear that, you know, you first kind of hear that, it's kind of like, you know, my mother used to say periodically, unfortunately, listen, young man, do you want to be spanked? Gee, mom, uh, been there, done that? Okay, all right, you get the gist, right? You know, I mean, I mean, you kind of get the question initially is kind of like, gee, you've been sick for 38 years. <laughs> Would you like to get well? But think about the question. I mean, really, think about the question. What is Jesus really asking this man? Are you ready to give up everything that you've known as your life's existence for the last 38 years? That's what he's asking. Isn't that what he's asking? Are, are you ready to have your life change so dramatically that you will be an absolutely new and different person from this day forward? Are, are, you, are you ready? Are you ready to let go of those secret sins that you keep holding on to? Are, are, are you ready? Are you ready to let go of all of those past hurts and failures that you keep holding on to because they're a convenient excuse and crutch about why life isn't somehow going so well? Are, 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 you, are you ready? Are you ready to give up life as you know it now and give it absolutely and completely to a new opportunity in the name of Jesus. That's what he's asking. And that's what he asks us. 
He asked that question not just of a guy who's been there for 38 years hoping that somewhere else, somehow, he's going to have a miracle happen in his life because of some bubbling water. He's asking that question of you and me every single day. Are you ready to give up your life as you know it for the opportunity of living a life that you could never think of, dream of, or imagine for yourself? Are you ready to have your life changed? Are you ready to let go of the past? Are you ready to let go of those hurts? Are you ready to let go of the resentments? Are you ready to let go of the failures? Are you ready to let go of all that stuff that's been in your past? Are you ready right now in this moment to let go of whatever it is that keeps you absolutely paralyzed and unable to move forward into the life that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you could receive? Are you ready? That's what he's asking. Because he is the only one in the entire world that can give us the opportunity for a whole new life. He is the only one, it's not bubbling water, who can give this man an opportunity to have his life dramatically, utterly, and absolutely changed from that moment forward. Are you ready? Now what's interesting is the guy's response. The guy gives him a lame excuse. No pun intended. Yeah, actually the pun is intended. He was lame. Yeah, pun intended. He says, now listen to what the guy says. Jesus is saying, look, you're ready to get well. This is what he says. Oh, I, I can't. Notice those words. I, I can't, sir. For I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Do you notice the guy doesn't answer the question? He doesn't answer the question. The question is, are you ready for your life to change right now and get well? The answer is, well, you know, I can't. I, you know, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. I, you know, I, I can't because I've got all these other things. I mean, there's nobody here to help me into the water. And, you know, I just, I never win the race. And I... I mean, do you see what the guy's doing? The guy is finding all the reasons why his life ought to stay the way it is. All the I can'ts of why he should stay lame for another 38 years. Are you kidding me? And yet that's exactly what we do. We hold on to this old stuff when Jesus is saying, listen, let it go. There's a better path in front of you. We hold on to all that garbage when Jesus is saying, let it go. I've already died for it. We hold on to all that resentment and the get even stuff. And we hold on to all that stuff back there when Jesus is saying, today is the day your life can be absolutely, utterly different. And there's something better in front of you. And amazingly, even though the guy avoids the question, Jesus steps forward in absolute commitment and grace. The guy avoided the question, right? He didn't say, yes, yes, amen, brother, I want it today. He didn't say that. But Jesus steps forward anyway, regardless of the bad answer, and says, listen, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Jesus in grace and compassion doesn't care what's happened for this guy's last 38 years. 
He's only looking to what can this guy do from this day forward? Are you ready for him to look at you that way? I mean, really, are, are you ready for him? Because he's ready. He is absolutely committed to your life. He's ready. He is absolutely committed to the person that you can be in his name. He is absolutely committed to your future in his name. And he is ready to step forward and make it happen. He just steps into the guy's life and he says, listen, pick up the mat and, and, and walk. And notice it says in the text in verse 9, instantly the man was healed. It doesn't say, you know, after the guy kind of propped himself up a little bit, after the guy showed some good intentions, after the guy kind of tried just a little bit, it, no, none of that is there. It's not dependent on the guy. Jesus just steps into the guy's life and he says, listen, rise up and walk. And instantly the guy is healed and he rolls up his mat and he begins walking. Do you realize how committed Jesus is to your life and to your future? You see, we don't have to hold on to that stuff anymore. That same question is in front of us every single day. Are you ready to be healed? Are you ready for a new life? The guy gets up and walks. Now the problem is if we receive it, if we receive that new life and we surrender ourselves and we say yes and we receive that forgiveness and that grace and we begin to look forward and we start walking forward in Jesus' name, here's what's going to happen. We're going to meet conflict. When we start totally living for Jesus, we're going to meet conflict. Now here's the irony. Remember in the beginning, Jesus is being a good Jewish guy who's following the law, right? What happens? He does the miracle. Jewish leaders see the healed guy and they say, hey, you're carrying your mat. You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry the sleeping mat. What happens? The leaders look at the guy that just got healed and what do they focus on? The old stuff. The old way. Hey, what are you doing? You're carrying a mat. You know better than that. You're not supposed to carry a mat. Hello, he just got healed. Did they miss something? Isn't it so easy to miss the big picture? Isn't it so easy to miss what God is prepared to do in our lives? Isn't it so easy to get lost in the small stuff about life and miss the opportunity of seeing what God can really do in our lives when we just let him take absolute and utter control? The leaders are stuck on a mat when they got a guy who was healed. And the challenge lies in the guy's response. The guy says at the end, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. What's the guy who got healed? What's his dilemma? The guy that got healed? He is now in conflict with the old ways. Versus listening to what Jesus tells him to do. That's it. When we surrender... When Jesus gets new life working in us, we're going to be in conflict with the old ways. It's going to be tempting to go back to the old ways. It's going to be tempting to go back to the old stuff. It's going to be tempting to go back to the old excuses. It's going to be tempting to go back to the old way of the way we've always done it. Instead of absolutely and utterly following the word 